Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have Lydia Cho on the, on the call. Oh, God, I'm stumbling already. Lydia received her doctorate in clinical psychology from Teachers College, Columbia University, studying, re- studying and researching spirituality under the supervision of Dr. Lisa Miller and her internship at the Brooklyn VA. With a concentration in neuropsychology, substance use disorder, and geriopsych oncology. She completed a one year geriopsychology fellowship with an emphasis in neuropsych at the Boston VA and a two year neuropsych fo- neuropsychology fellowship at McLean Hospital in Boston. She has continued as a psychologist, neuropsychologist at McLean Hospital, continuing psychodiagnostic neuropsychological assessments on inpatients, residential and outpatient settings, providing didactics to McLean, Brigham and Young, Brigham and Women's Hospital residents. I always say Brigham and Young because it reminds me of Brigham Young School. So I always stumble on that. Providing supervision to neuropsych fellows and administering neuropsych evaluations for research purposes. Welcome, Lydia. Anyone else feel like they were shot out of a cannon this month? I certainly do. It feels like everything has just taken off. And so I'm excited to share that the rest of the year has got great content and 2022 is already shaping up to be incredible. So if you want to know what's coming and what I've got planned for you, please go ahead and sign up for my newsletter. It is actually the thing that's fallen to the bottom of everything I do, unfortunately, but I am going to make it come back. So as a busy mom of three, um, I have had to prioritize some things and the podcast always gets priority over everything else. So if you haven't signed up for my newsletter yet, you can do that on my website, dramyrobbins.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and you can link there. Uh, Also, if you could support the podcast, that would be fantastic. You can go to patreon.com, any sort of you just put in my name, any sort of financial support is so, so appreciated right now as I'm really ramping up with some great guests into 2022. And I want to sort of elevate my listener experience overall. And one way I'm doing that is on Fireside. So if you have not joined me on Fireside yet, I know I've seen a few of you over there, maybe you're kind of hiding in the background, but you can be on the show and ask questions of my guests, which is amazing. All my shows are on Thursdays. They are live. Time kind of varies depending on uh, where my guests are, but generally between 12 and 2. So you can have lunch with me if you're back at the office and having lunch. I would love to see some of you over there. It's a great platform. It's fun to be interactive and to to hear all of you and hear your questions. Um, Also follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. And I think that just about covers it. So here is this month's episodes. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I am part of why I reached out to you for those who heard my email with Lisa Miller, Dr. Lisa Miller, who wrote The Awakened Brain, I wanted to follow up on synchronicities. I felt like that really should be its own show. And I remember reading in the book that you were one of the people who was responsible for helping, for for doing the research on this. So can you start by telling us, I know it was a while ago that you wrote your dissertation on this, but what led you at the time to studying synchronicities? So, I mean, I think that life is a very circuitous, fortuitous path. Like we can never figure out exactly what we're going to end up doing. So I think that I'm just going to step back, if that's okay, and just describe 
like my interest in psychology and spirituality, how I even got into this field, if that's okay. So I I think that a big part of my interests have really, um, were really profoundly impacted by my parents and my grandparents. So my parents are very, you know, scientifically minded. um, And my grandparents are also, you know, really well educated, but also very quite religious and spiritual. So we grew up going to church, Presbyterian church in Los Angeles. And uh, we grew up like, you know, praying every night before we went to bed and grandma would always pray for me and say, she's praying for me. So prayer has always been a part of my life. And I feel like spirituality has been a very prominent aspect of my life. Um, And also I think what also needs to be considered is my cultural background. I'm Korean you know, born and raised in the States, but grandma and grandpa are originally from North Korea, born in 1919 and 1924 in North Korea and are very, um, like raised me, uh, with like a very Korean mentality, like family is really important, working really hard, uh, helping other people, um, and also being really humble. So I think that growing up again with grandma and grandpa, my parents who are both like scientific people, um, it's really made me want to pursue psychology. I know that I'm kind of being really kind of vague, but I think growing up, the expectation was go to medical school like my parents. And I was like, no way, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were so hardworking. They didn't really have time for us. My grandparents did all of the raising. So this is my dad's parents. So grandma and grandpa totally loving and always supportive and unconditional love and always believing in us. And I was thinking, you know, more than maybe physical health, like emotional health is so important, right? Like our emotions and our bodies are connected. People somatize situations like feelings, like, you know, you have headaches or stomach aches or uh, like a lot of physical somatic symptoms, which are expressions of emotions. And just, I felt like, you know, I really felt like emotional functioning was so important. And in the back room was always like being a little bit spiritually minded. I'm not like one of those proselytizing, evangelizing people. I've never been really comfortable with that, but it's always been like my own thing that I like that resonates for me. So graduating from college, classics major, what am I going to do with my life? I applied to graduate school, went to teacher's college for my master's. I hooked up with, um, Dr. Leah Lapidus to do forensic research because I was like, ah, oh, you know, maybe I'll do forensic. But I've always wanted to do like psychotherapy, incorporating spirituality, and Lisa Miller was there. So Leah Lapidus, you know, she worked with Zimbardo, graduated from NYU, like really prominent uh, female. So for people you know, who don't know Zimbardo, I do, but other people might not. Can you tell people who he is and what? Oh my goodness, of, some of the uh, research he's been responsible for. Seminal researcher. Um, I don't know exactly what year, like maybe like the sixties, uh, seventies, but everybody yeah. who does any sort of social psychology work knows of Zimbardo. So Leah Lapidus, again, my professor that I came in with doing forensic work. And then there's Lisa Miller and, you know, spirituality was something that she was, you know, she had a class in it in this religious diversity, spirituality, psychotherapy class. And I took it and I loved it. And it really resonated for me, like talking about flow and how things are so meaningful and connected. And I really gravitated towards that and to do that sort of research instead of like forensic research that I kind of was doing, but I didn't really feel like my heart was in it or that for me, it was that meaningful. And so that's and when the path was that this? I took. How long ago was this? Oh my goodness. So Amy, I graduated from college in 1998 and then I did my master's from 2000 to 2001 and then my PhD from 2001 to 2008. So that's it was a while ago. Progressive, I feel like cuz that's when I was in grad school and we had a class on religion or spirit but but it wasn't it doesn't sound like it was anything like what Lisa was doing at the time. Oh yeah, Lisa's Dr. Miller's like a phenomenal like fearless, courageous individual, like so ahead of her time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, even if we're thinking that way, and if you are like religiously minded and spiritually minded, back then in psychology, 
you know, people really thought of religion, spirituality, and psychotherapy as completely different. Mm-hmm. So, like, even at my grad school, like some professors there, even on internship, like some supervisors there would make comments like, Lydia, spirituality, religion is not psychology. So it's like a huge paradigm shift. And then going back to your question again, Amy, like how did I get into like really um, interested in religion, spirituality, uh, this sort of synchronicity experience? I think it's because of my own experiences growing up. I know that you've had your experiences too as a medium and like you were given that gift by God or a higher power. But I think there's always like a little bit of connectedness among people with like the universe and the non-material world. So my piano teacher, and forgive me if I'm too detail oriented, but this is just the way I talk. It annoys my husband because he's like, get to the point. (laughs) <laughs> but my piano teacher, Mrs. Clemens, I had her, Mrs. Eugenia Clemens, I had her from like age five, six until age 10. She passed away. I was devastated. I was in Korea over the summer and I came back and I, I remember throwing myself onto the floor. I was like crying, crying, crying. And so like I shared this story with you, Amy, but like when I was age 15, I, you know, I continued to play piano like a lot. Um, doing concerts and competitions and, you know, playing with orchestras a couple of times. But at age 15, I was practicing piano at my parents slash grandparents home in Los Angeles. And I could smell her. I smelled her perfume. And it was like she was visiting me. And I'm a goody two-shoe. I don't do drugs and I've never done drugs at that age. Of course not at age 15. But like the smell um, sort of was traveling around the room and it like left through the front of the wind, like the front window. So I rushed mm-hmm. to my grandparents, like grandpa was in like the sitting room slash fireplace and grandma was on her bed reading the newspaper and it wasn't coming from them. And I remember telling grandma, I smelled Mrs. Clemens. And the funny thing is grandma's so religious. She's like totally not phased by that comment. And when you say it was going out the window, did you see it or you No, oh, the smell was dissipating through the window. I didn't see it. I could okay. smell it, but it was like I was like sniffing and it felt like it was <laughs> leaving the house through the front window. Wow. So like that experience and then another experience I had was um back in high school, like back in college I had a friend and we were very close friends and he moved back to the Boston area and he, I didn't hear from him for about four weeks and I was going running and I still go running, but I was going running around college campus. And I was thinking about for about like three blocks or three minutes. I don't remember. Cause I always think, Oh, it must've been three. It must've been three. So three blocks or three minutes. I was thinking about how it would be to be informed or to inform somebody about, about somebody's death on the phone. And then I saw like a blonde skateboarder who looked just like my friend. And that Friday I called him and his aunt answered the phone and she told me that he had passed. So that was really hard. Mm. So, But but like the next day or like maybe a week after, I forget, it was like on a Saturday. It might've been a week after I had a dream where he was like hugging me and he felt cool, like moist, moist. That was like the first time that I actually sensed moisture in a dream. And he kept saying, it's okay, I'm okay, it's okay, I'm okay. So I know that he also came to me in a dream. So what did your research look like at the time? Um, and how did you get so like pin, like um, narrowed in on synchronicities as sort of a spiritual event? So those experiences, I would consider to be synchronicities. So I think that synchronicity is an Eastern philosophy. Um, It's based in Eastern philosophy. It's a term that Jung, Carl Gustav Jung coined, like he coined that term, but it's a concept that's been around for a long time. It means a meaningful coincidence, um, like a connection between the outer world and your inner world. So things are, for example, are dreams that come true, that end up coming true or having some sort of a premonition or having a dream that it's actually occurring in real life somewhere far away, distant. So I think, you know, throughout life, you know, we all experience these things like 
where you need something and it just presents or you need to find somebody, you need something and, and it unexpectedly it shows up. So it's sort of like the, it's the universe sort of like providing for you when you need. So the reason that I got into this is again, taking Dr. Lisa Miller's class and reading about synchronicity and always being very interested in it. And then, you know, dissertation, you have to do research and okay, so I'm going to do a synchronicity awareness intervention group with master's level students in her class in this class. So the point of the group wasn't to say, oh, yeah, it exists or it doesn't exist. It wasn't like a theoretical debate or an argument about synchronicity as a concept. It was more like, okay, well, if we do this synchronicity awareness intervention group, will it actually lead to awareness of synchronicity number one? Is it feasible, number two? How does it impact spirituality, number three? And how does it impact mental health, number four? Mm. So in this six-week session, we had maybe 14 participants who initially expressed interest. 13 actually continued. And we split the 13 into two groups. So one had seven students, participants, and the other had six. And it was led by three co-facilitators. So Mark Roster... Nina Sutton, and John Eunice. So they're all master's level students also in that class. So what, what I did was I provided pre and post self-report measures, you know, pre the six-week intervention, and then what did their mood symptoms, spirituality look like at the end? Was there actually increase in synchronicity um, awareness at the end of the six weeks? And I also did videotape interviews that I transcribed each person I met with 30 minutes to see what worked and what didn't work. I also provided them with another book in addition to all the books that they were reading in Dr. Lisa Miller's class. And I also provided a notebook for them to like take notes of their experiences and to increase awareness and attunement with the outer world. Well, and so, that's a big piece, right? It's like, what is it? Is it once you sort of start paying attention to that, it starts, it feels like it starts showing up more. Yes. It's sort of like if you have a new car and then you see that same sort of car everywhere, like you might be more attuned to it. Is it that it's actually happening or is it like just you're actually more aware of it? So it's hard to tell. Like, are these synchronicities actually happening more often, more frequently, or are you just more attuned and aware of the outer world to increase awareness of it? Mm-hmm. So, so what did again, you the find? thing is, it was, it's like a very, you know, synchronicity is a very subjective experience, correct? Right. Like if I said, oh, Amy, this is what happened to me. Oh my God, it's it's so meaningful to me. You might say, Lydia, it's really not. You might rationalize it or you might minimize it. Like that's what people do, right? People Absolutely. have their own experiences. I, yeah, I've it's had that done so them. many times. People are like, oh, that's just a coincidence or oh, that totally could have been blah, 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 or blah, blah. You know, they really do dismiss it. And that if they dismiss it, that's their prerogative, but your choice and your subjective experience is very meaningful. What we found is that, you know, synchronicity awareness group intervention does increase awareness of synchronicity. They were also in that class at the same time where they're talking about religion, religious diversity, spirituality, and psychotherapy. So it's hard to know if it was them being in the class or if it was a group because they didn't have a control. It, it was a pilot study. Mm-hmm. We found also that there's something called negative religious coping where you feel like, oh, God has abandoned me or religion is something that is uh, you feel victimized by. So there's reduction in terms of that. There's actually increased congruence between increased synchronicity awareness and congruence with religious belief system, their overall cosmology. And we also felt that, you know, there weren't significant um, improvements in terms of mood symptoms. But again, there were there wasn't a lot of variability or diversity in terms of levels of mood symptoms. So everybody was relatively not depressed or not anxious. But qualitatively, there was a little bit of a less ruminative quality in terms of their anxiety. So people wrote about like when things didn't work out to, you know, that there might be a bigger picture here. Mm. It may not seem like it's working out right now, but this may be for a bigger, better purpose and to sort of let go of control, not be so type A controlling like I am that way, but (laughs) 
to be like more open and receptive to the universe and to feel more at ease, more connected. There was definitely a theme of connectedness with each other in the room, despite difference in religious belief systems, despite difference in ethnicities and cultures, because, you know, this sort of experience, I think, is a very profound cross-cultural, cross-religious ethnicity experience that's been around for ages. Mm-hmm. Can you can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, Carl Jung, came, it, it took him a while to really come out with his perspective on synchronicity. It wasn't almost until the end of his life, right, that he shared this. And he and Freud worked very closely together. They were sort of the fathers of psychology. What, what did you see as their different views on spirituality? And then if you could also maybe speak to how um, synchronicities is based on sort of these old Eastern philosophical beliefs. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay. Very good question, Amy. Um, so as you know, Freud is, you know, the father of psychoanalysis and he, you know, was a bit dismissive of religion and spirituality. So, you know, as a child, a child relies on their parents for emotional support, nurturance and comfort. As they get older, the child then separates from the parent and individuates into an, into an adult. And he wrote that people who seek religion um, or move that way are shifting their dependence on their parents onto religion. And he considered that to be a mass delusion. So religious people are delusional, that it saves so the, them from the, individual neuroses. Right. So the, it became like religion became the projection of the parent. Yes. Or they just... Or yet they displace their dependence from their parents onto their religion, mm-hmm. you know, that they're less depend- independent. But, you know, Freud had a lot of good things, like a lot, you know, good, you know, very seminal figure. Um, again, I, I conceptualize cases from a very dynamic, pro- dynamic psychodynamic perspective. But again, his view of religion and spirituality, I don't know, like whatever he had gone through. Uh, just it, it didn't resonate for him. Mm-hmm. So Jung was a student of Freud's, and if you have a teacher who's telling you that stuff, you're not really going to want to feel you don't really feel comfortable pursuing that sort of line of thought. Correct. So even though Freud, sorry, Jung had always, you know, thought of religions. You know, all religions have value. Um, religion is like a great psychotherapeutic system full of imagery and symbols. And um, it helps guide people, you know, make more ethical decisions. He, I don't think that he actually felt comfortable talking about it, speaking about it until he was older. I mean, the first time that he actually used the word synchronicity was at age 55 and then at age 60. And then it wasn't until his mid seventies that he published a book about synchronicities. I really Mm. do think that, he wrote that it's because he kept experiencing more synchronicities with each decade that it's something that he couldn't ignore anymore. He had to feel more comfortable. He also wrote that maybe a lack of courage to talk about it, as well as feeling that he didn't have enough scientific knowledge, but his own subjective experiences was something that he couldn't, couldn't ignore any longer. Mm-hmm. Incorporation of Eastern philosophies, you know, again, the I Ching, which is the book of changes. It's a Chinese divinatory method where you might ask a question and then you have a stock of yarrows or coins and you drop them. And the way they land is um, you look at the book. It could be one of 64 options. And it's sort of like 
you're asking in the universe a, a question and the coins and the Yarrow stocks drop according, demonstrating what the answer is. And then you're looking at a book. So it's like a divinatory, divinatory method. Again, and that is based on the Tao where things are all connected, our inner world, our outer world, the universe, animals, nature, everything is connected. We're not separate from each other. So everything's kind of meaningful and purposeful. Mm-hmm. And so his his kind of understanding of all of this came out of, of some of that. Some of the Eastern well. philosophies, as well as I believe his own lived experiences. So I think in general, like our belief system isn't something that it's really quite informed by what we've lived through. I can't say, I don't feel comfortable saying you should believe in this because this is what I believe in. Mm -hmm. I feel comfortable saying this is what I believe in. What do you believe in? And can you share with me your experiences? Because I, I'm, I don't think that there is one right answer or one way to believe or one real religion. I do sorry to say, think that there's value in a lot, a lot of religions. I say, sorry to say, because um, I know I identify as Christian, but I'm pretty sure that a lot of Christians wouldn't be cool with the way that I talk about like religion and, <laughs> you know, like the hardcore Christians. So how do you, how do you see synchronicities impacting health outcomes? So, you know, according to the research that I conducted for my dissertation, again, it's making people feel more at ease. You don't have to have control over every little thing that happens. You feel more connected, increasing meaning and purpose in life. If everything is connected, there's a non-material world that we can't see, then we feel more at ease. You know, I think that union analysts would be those Jungian analysts would be better at answering this question specifically, but through my own dissertation, just feeling more of like a sense of calm, being in flow, not needing to control things. So again, a way to increase spirituality, a form of spiritual enlightenment and awakening, and hence leading to some positive emotional, cognitive, behavioral, and behavioral changes. If one believes that life is meaningful, then one would likely, I believe, try to do more and help more other people, help other people be more engaged with the outer world, engage in salubrious behaviors instead of negative coping stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, many ways that we might fill our inner void, but people who see meaning and purpose in life might rely on more salubrious methods to cope with stress. So do Um, you, is it, is it a, which which comes first? Like could, is it harder to become spiritual once you've been, I might be able to answer this, my own question, but once you've struggled with mental illness or is it you're spiritual and so mental illness is not as much of a I don't know how to phrase this. It's not as um, debilitating, perhaps. Like it oh. exists and you feel it, but it doesn't. It doesn't sort of sideline you if you have a sense of of spirituality or a belief in synchronicities and that the world is sort of always working for me. Because I hear from people a lot. Well, I just don't buy into that, and that's not going to help me. I mean, you might you might hear some of that as well in your work. Um, That's a really good question. I mean, I don't know, actually, the research. I mean, Koenig at Duke came to McLean virtually for Ground Rounds last week because it's actually Spirituality Month, October is. So he gave us a lot of information. Can I come to your Ground Rounds? Your Ground Rounds? I said, can I come to the Ground Rounds? Yes, I will get you connected. I mean, we can talk offline or through email. But yeah, maybe I can connect you with somebody at McLean about Ground Rounds. because it's the end of October. I know, but yeah, we could still maybe, I'll connect you. I don't know who, we'll talk. That sounds amazing. Spirituality month. Okay, yeah, so, so he, me- had, he came last week and he talked who about spirituality and I listened to the ground rounds and there's so much data. I mean, there's, he's coming up with his new edition of like, he's the editor or he wrote the book about religion and spirituality and psychotherapy or, you know, I don't know the exact title, but he's, he's 
one of the founding prominent figures of religion, spirituality, and mental health. But there's so much data. I don't know exactly what the data say. But one thing that I do remember is that in terms of spirituality, like, you know, people who are spiritual without a religious understanding framework don't do as well as people who are religious with who are spiritual with with a religious framework. So people who have, you know, spirituality within a religious framework tend to do better than people who are who are spiritual without a religious framework. Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. So you have some guiding religious principle that's grounding this. Yes, I do think that that's important. But the next level of it is kind of this connection to maybe it's not like God or Jesus or I'm not, I'm religious enough, but not super religious, but that, but that, and then beyond that is sort of this belief that there is a universal something source, whatever you want to call it. It's not necessarily that you believe in those things, but that you have the underpinnings of that. I would agree with that statement, although specifically in terms of like the literature and the data, I don't know the specifics. Mm -hmm. Um, um, There's also, again, you could be spiritual and religious and also suffer from mental illness. And like the mental illness can manifest as like um, negative religious belief systems or, you know, that punitive persecutory um, perspective about God, like God has abandoned me, um, stuff like that. I mean, I, in my work with patients, like I sometimes hear that when things don't go well in life, like, uh, God has left me. I don't believe in this. I can't pray because I'm so upset. So, you know, people who are religious and spiritual, again, do experience depression and that depression, a part of it could be their religious, uh, 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 a bring no that a religious belief system mm-hmm. and so well, and again, yeah I mean this isn't to this isn't to say that because you have a belief in spirituality and religion you don't suffer from mental illness right it's just right it it is a maybe a mitigating factor or it helps to not a mitigating factor it helps to decrease perhaps the intensity of the symptoms or the right. illness or whatever right. it is right and also at McLean, I have to say that there's also chaplain, Angelica. So if there are patients, like I've had patients who are experiencing a lot of depression, bereavement because of a loss and um, like a family member dying or a family member becoming really ill. So I will um, alert the team to have the patient meet with um, the Reverend Angelica. I'm not, I, I saw her today, but she goes by Angelica. And so I do think, you know, even at McLean, we are definitely incorporating more of a religious spirituality perspective and being more mindful of patients' religious spiritual backgrounds and how that can impact mental health and how mental health can be manifested in those ways. Mm -hmm. So important. So, yeah, I mean, McLean is one of the top mental health hospitals in the country. what is it looking like there and how are you incorporating? I mean, obviously, Jeff, for those who missed, it was a while ago. I think it was like last February I interviewed. I always say his name wrong. Jeff Rodinger. 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 Yeah. Uh, he wrote the book Cured and that was how I got, I've, he's connected with me with several other amazing um, therapists and psychologists also in this field, but he is, he he runs, right? He's the director there. And yes, he's one very of the directors spiritual. of the units, yes, yeah. of the McLean Southeast. So the way that religion, spirituality looks like, you know, we also have somebody named David Rosemarin. David H. Rosemarin, he's a, a PhD. Um, he also has a thriving anxiety clinic in New York, like several locations. But um, he has is a director of or started like a spirituality division. So I should get you connected with him too. You may want to talk to him. But what he did is um, he's actually done research and um, administering some spiritual 
spirituality measures on inpatient units throughout the hospital. Mm. He has a lot of data. So the way that McLean is looking, you know, there's definitely increase in diversity in terms of like race and gender, sexual orientation, and including spirituality and religious perspectives. And I think, you know, greater openness, October being spirituality awareness month and having Koenig from Duke present at ground rounds last week or the week before. What I think I was asking, and I think it oh, was talking over you. No, no, no. I want to, who I don't, I'm not familiar with Koenig and his work. So Koenig is uh, the at Duke university and he does a lot of religion, spirituality work. He, um, one of the measures that I used for my dissertation is a Durrell um, one like a religion spirituality measure, like um, assessing how often you do different religious perspectives. I mean, mm. behaviors like praying and going to church. But a lot of he he's uh, he um, is a very prominent figure in this field in terms of religion and spirituality, and has published like the handbook or you know like the textbook of religion, mm-hmm. spirituality. Um, and and um, what is, how do you personally incorporate this work into your work? Cause you see, I'm assuming a lot of, I mean, you do geriatric psychology, geriopsych. So I'm assuming you're seeing people kind of later in life where some of these existential questions maybe are a little bit more pronounced. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had, what I do for a living is I meet with people for maybe two or three sessions each for maybe three to four hours. And I do thorough interview. I do psych and neuropsych evaluation. So I don't meet them for long-term therapy. Again, I might meet somebody for four to eight, maybe 10 hours, conduct a thorough evaluation to get an accurate diagnosis. In my work, I always ask about their religious background. Were they raised with religion? Do they identify with a religion right now? Do they identify as spiritual? I don't necessarily ask for their synchronistic experiences. Um, but if they do talk about it, then I will listen. Um, I think that it's really important for us to listen to people's stories and experiences to really figure out what they're um, suffering from and how we can best help them and not minimize any of their experiences. Um, It's also important to be aware that for individuals who don't have as robust of an ego, like if their ego is really fragile or um, if they're a little bit disorganized in their thought processes, that actually like talking about synchronicity may not necessarily be helpful. It could make them feel even more uh, disorganized and psychotic or paranoid or grandiose. So Mm -hmm. it's not that for my sort of evaluation, like what I do for a living, I bring in, you know, ask about religion and spirituality, but I may not discuss synchronicities because it's not really the time or the place. If they bring Mm -hmm. it up, then we may discuss Um, But I think if I were to do psychotherapy, it would be one of the ways, sort of like dream work, like, you know, analyzing dreams and what that could mean. Um, Because, again, synchronicity is like a spiritual awakening, um, a form of spiritual awakening. And for us to be more able to integrate disparate, separate pieces of ourselves into one whole. Mm hmm. Well, Lydia, I want to open the floor up for questions if anybody has any. Um, Thank you so much for your time in the interview portion. If people, I mean, you're not really doing work in this in this world anymore, per se. But if they're interested in in learning more about you or want to reach out, can you tell them how they could do that? Sure. So, my email you can email me at lcho at partners dot org. Again, lcho at partners.org or email me to lydiacho at gmail.com. Um, Amy, Dr. Robbins, can I ask you, or not ask you, but can I share one experience that I had or a couple of experiences that I've had? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so. Is that okay? Because yeah, I, I just want to make sure we have time to open oh, it up. Sorry. To for, no, no, go so ahead. So, one thing is, um, I feel like 
I feel like there is no way to really like figure out what we're going to like, there's no real way to like control every aspect and to always do what we want to do and to, for things to be perfect or anything. But I did take some notes. (laughs) I did take some notes. So like, uh, it might be a lot, but like, um, remember I talked about my grandparents who raised us and who love us so much. So my grandma and my grandpa, they moved back to Korea in 2004. And after that, I would go to Korea maybe once or twice a year, even though I was in grad school. And, um, I, you know, during right after I graduated from grad school and I was on um, my postdoc, the first postdoc at the Boston VA, I was actually pregnant, but um, it ended up in miscarriage. Like there was no heartbeat at nine weeks. And then, um, you know, the baby was going to be born on January 17th, 2010. And that happened to be like my favorite number. Like I, that was like my password during that time, January 17th, even before I knew that that was the date of birth of the baby. And in October, my grandpa, October of 20, 2009, my grandpa came to me in my dream and he had Parkinson's. And so I was like telling my grandpa and he was telling me in Korean, Lydia, go to Korea. Listen, go to Korea. And I kept saying, grandpa, let me drive, let me drive. And he kept saying, no, Lydia, go to Korea. And I was like, yes, I'll go to Korea. And I woke up and I remember thinking, oh, that's weird that my grandpa came to me and told me to go to Korea. Of course I would. Um, In January, I was applying for postdocs and I ended up not getting a postdoc, a neuropsych postdoc. I ended up getting pregnant and uh, I went to Korea when I was 12 weeks, when the baby was 12 weeks, which was in mid-April. And my grandma passed away in mid-May, on May 18th. And had I been pregnant, had the first pregnancy come to fruition, I wouldn't have been able to spend like the last month of my grandma's life with her in Korea. Mm-hmm. And then in Korea, after she passed away, I was pregnant and, you know, I came back to the States. I didn't get a postdoc, but while I was in, while I was in Korea, I had a dream that Alan Schiller, who's the training director of McLean and I spoke on the phone. And, uh, when I came back to Boston in September, the postdoc at McLean opened up and I let him know that I was interested I interviewed on the 7th of October and I was offered the position on the 14th of October, which was when I had the C-section for Riley. So I think that everything happens for a reason. Like, you know, there was, I didn't get a postdoc. The pregnancy was, you know, ended up in miscarriage, but then I had Riley and I got to spend time with my grandma and I got this postdoc. So, you know, you never know. It just, things happen for a reason. And sometimes, like, I know that 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 saying can be upsetting for people who think, you know, why did this happen to me or how did this happen to me or how could there be a reason for this happening to me? Um, And it's not to dismiss that feeling, but to say sometimes it, it, it could take years or a lifetime to even be able to step back and see the bigger picture of how the whole the whole thing came together, right? Mm-hmm. The whole thing meaning your life. And mm-hmm. um, and and perhaps even after life, if we want to go there, of maybe course. not for today's podcast. But of course. Um, I just got a speaker request. Someone wants to come up and ask a question. Are there was there anything else you wanted oh, to no, share? Oh no, that was it. Okay. Thank you. I'm gonna have um, Mary come up. Hi, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this discussion. And I will preface it by saying I'm, I'm sitting outside. You might hear my wind chimes oh, in the background. I'm yeah, weeding. I'm jealous because I'm in Chicago and I will not be sitting outside for some time. Yeah, well, this is why I'm outside right now because uh, this big, that big storm system is coming our way and we've got another <laughs> you know two or three days of rain heading our way. Um, first of all, yeah, again, just thank you. This has been such a good discussion. I really... I just love hearing other people's perspectives and especially when it's scientifically based, you know, you feel like um, I have nothing against woo woo, but uh, I also appreciate just hearing logistical, especially when my husband walks out as he did a few minutes ago and he hears what I'm listening to. He's like, (laughs) what now? I'm like, no, 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 it's legit, man. Um, But, um, and one comment uh, that I, I really was thinking about 
is that when you have a religious upbringing, that perhaps that guy, that helps a lot when you decide to switch from religious to spiritual living. Um, maybe that doesn't work for everybody, but I agree. I already had that really for myself, a strong foundation in believing. So synchronicity and spirituality are just kind of like the, the logical next step. But my real question is for um, Lydia and Amy too, what is the role of prayer for you? Um, and how does that jive with synchronicity? Thank you. I think, thank you, uh, sorry, thank you, Mary, for that What great question. Um, prayer, I think, is so important to me personally um, and how that relates to synchronicity. I do believe that God listens to our prayers or the universe listens to our prayers. And if you want something and you go for it, like the universe, I feel, is always nurturing and provides. Um, like even for today's podcast, I told I told like uh, my colleague and, you know, a few postdocs, like three postdocs, I was like, even if you don't pray, could you just pray for me? Like sending <laughs> those positive messages and those vibes. I think it's so important. In terms of like the research on prayer, I'm sorry that I can't answer that because I haven't done like a lit review about like prayer and uh, uh, mental health and, you know, synchronicity. But I do think that prayer is something that's really important that, you know, just a form of meditation, being at peace. Uh, being at one with yourself and the universe and just really seeking like beseeching what you would like um, and being in that calm meditative space. So again, prayer, spiritual um, enlightenment and awakening, all of these are so uh, related in my opinion. Yeah, Mary, I, I sort of, I actually don't think of, what I do is praying because it feels religious to me. And I don't really, that doesn't resonate with me as much, but I sort of think of my prayer for lack of a better term as a conversation with something greater than me. And for me, it feels like it's ongoing. Like sometimes it's as I'm falling asleep at night, just asking for protection and love and healing and whatever I need. And sometimes it's just sort of Lydia, like what you said, like all day, I'm just in conversation with like, can you show me what I need to know next? Or can you, can you provide for me what I need? And so it doesn't feel super, it doesn't feel separate mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. my engagement it, it feels like an ongoing conversation, just like I have conversations with the people around me. I'm just mm -hmm. constantly also having that conversation with whatever this higher universal source power is. And I, I, I throw gratitude in there a lot too, which is like just when it, when the universe does provide what I'm asking for, I always say, thank you. Or shows me, I say, you know, thank you so much for showing me that or for making it clear for me. Sometimes I say, why haven't you made it clear enough for me yet? I don't know. Um, but, but I don't, it doesn't feel separate to me, but it does feel like the more I do it, the more, the more things seem to flow. So I'm going to invite John up on stage. Hey, John. I know I. Hello, hello. I, we, we owe each other a call, I think. Absolutely. We will, uh, we will get to that. I know that we're, we're all incredibly busy this time of year. <laughs> um, so, uh, of course, this is one of my favorite, uh, uh, one of my favorite subjects. Uh, I'm, I was a card-carrying atheist up until about a year and a half ago. And when I, uh, when I started doing uh, research into uh, paranormal stuff, I started noticing synchronicities. And now it's just been a constant year and a half of one after the other, after the other, after the other. And it's, it, it is kind of mind blowing that once you open yourself up to it, it just seems to resonate and ripple outward. But what I'm really wondering is, um, other than like the classic, uh, textbooks on all this stuff, uh, are either of you aware of any more recent studies or, uh, books put out on the subject? Uh, on which I know that, um, on which subject specifically? On synchronicities in particular. So when I did my research in 2008, like I know the books up until maybe 2006, um, the books that I've used, uh, Bolin, I think Jean, 
Bolin um, from 1979. That's, you know, you know, a while ago, but there must be some more recent books. I just haven't looked at the literature since um, graduating from graduate school. Well, and I think Dr. Lisa Miller's book, The Awakened Brain, is great. Um, also, Andrew, what is his last name? I He was on my podcast a while ago. Uh, he is a researcher, I think, out of Pittsburgh or somewhere in Pennsylvania. And he's done a lot in this spiritual realm as well. So the religious spirituality. So you might want to look into his work, John. And I can DM you on Instagram uh, on that because I, I do have his information somewhere. I just need to find it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lydia. It's a pleasure to meet you and a great time. Thank Thanks, you, John. John. Did anybody else want to come up and ask any last questions? Well, Lydia, thank you so much for your time today. This was a great, great conversation. I really enjoyed speaking with you. I'm glad. Thank Jeff for me. I'll send him an email too um, for helping make this happen. And to your students for, and or not maybe not your students, but everybody that you worked with who you said, just, just make sure it goes smoothly because it did. This was smooth today. So no tech issues, nothing. So thank you so much. And thank you to your friend who helped make this happen. Yeah, with the thanks, iPhone. Katie. Thank All right. You. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. I enjoyed having you on and having your questions and everything. So have a great thank day. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.